Hello, I'm Kevin Richard. Well, the November 8th elections are fast approaching, which means we're in the middle of debate season to a degree. We have several debates uh, that are in the works or have happened, several debates that did not happen. Um, to talk about that and to talk about the value of debates and the process of putting debates together, I'm joined this week by Melissa Davlin, the host of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television, moderator for the Idaho debates. Melissa, thanks as always for joining us. You know, I'm a I'm a glass half full kind of guy. You know, if nothing else, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So I want to talk about the debates that are happening and have happened. And I want to start with the attorney general's debate from a couple of weeks ago, um, which was a fascinating debate to watch. Uh, just, just the the interplay between those two candidates. I mean, you've got two lawyers on the stage. They're each accusing the other of political opportunism. So you knew you were going to have a pretty good debate. We knew ahead of time that there would be sparks, that there would be a lot of personality in that debate. But we also knew, and our goal was to make it um, very policy focused, because at the end of the day, that's that's such a big part of the job. Obviously, personality and management style are going to play into that. And we certainly saw you know, these two candidates, these two men, um, their their personalities came mm -hmm. out. Uh, at the same time, we we talked a lot about policy, and it was such a good debate. You say it was uh, fascinating to watch. It was fantastic to moderate because it we knew, you know, no matter what debates we got, we knew that this would be one of the highlights of the debate season just because we knew there would be so many eyes on it. We knew that there there would be a lot of questions about exactly what you said, these accusations of political opportunism and, and how these two men would approach the office of the attorney general after we've had an incumbent in there for, for so long. For 20 this years. is the first yeah. time. Yes. This is the first time Idaho will have a new attorney general in in a very long time. And I've got to say, watching it not just as an interested uh, observer of politics, but as somebody who's writing about this race, I'm going to do a story about the AG's race next week. I found the the personalities to be important to hear, the interplay about how they would approach the office. That's part of the story. But also the policy end is part of the story. When the candidates were talking, especially about education issues, especially about the Blaine Amendment and school choice and school construction needs. I mean, obviously stuff that's in our wheelhouse, really interesting and meaty stuff that, you know, works into a policy driven story as well. Their attitudes about how they would approach work with the legislature also play into exactly. education policy, because you know that lawmakers are going to be approaching that office for uh, for input on how to craft some of these school choice bills that we will inevitably see in coming sessions. And so that it it, it was such a good debate. We were we were very happy with it. We can always certainly you know improve. But I was really, really glad that we got that debate between these two candidates. And another really interesting thing in that debate, and again, it goes to goes to personalities and the very different personalities of these two candidates, but also the very different approaches to the job from these two candidates is the management end of the job. I mean, the next AG is going to run a big law firm that has been under the same leadership for 20 years very different approaches to filling that staff, uh, appointing attorneys, putting a team together. When you know that one of the, the key members of that team, Brian Kane, is already out of the attorney general's office, 
So who runs this office and how they run that office is really interesting stuff. And whoever gets into that office is going to inherit the the problem of attorney retention yeah. because this is something that came up in the last legislative session when attorney general wasden was presenting to jfac and saying look i have deputy attorneys general who can make significantly more money working for the city of boise or in the private sector and they have the same commute and they have a very similar job description and all they have to do is park in a different parking lot and they're making you know ten twenty thousand dollars more, um, so their two approaches to that are going to have impacts that the average Idahoan isn't going to notice necessarily immediately. But when we're talking about the you know the the interplay between the attorney general's office and these state agencies and how they're defended in court if and when they're challenged on these policies, it, it is going to have a difference or it, it is going to make a, a, a difference for the taxpayer at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Let's shift from a debate that did happen to one that will be happening on Monday that obviously we're going to be watching very closely. The state superintendent candidates, Debbie Critchfield, uh, Terry Gilbert. What a difference in the personality of the race. Every campaign takes on its own personality. and. You know, I've talked to Debbie Critchfield so many times over the years, you know, on her state board years, as well as, uh, as, as, a, as a candidate. Spoken to Terry Gilbert a bunch of times now in his campaign. They're nice people, and they're running a nice campaign against each other. This is a very different personality of a race. So it's good. you would expect this to have a very different tone come Monday night. Right, and, and not saying that Tom Arcouche and Roe Labrador aren't nice No, that's people. not what I'm saying. But they campaign very differently. They they campaign. It's an adversarial campaign. Don't do the same. That, yeah, that, and that's a really good way to to put it. Is the campaign style? You, you see that the nice carry through into the campaign style. The the reason I am so excited about this, I, I I'm excited about all the debates for sure. very very different reasons. Education policy debates, superintendent debates, are focused on. One topic, education, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so in the U.S. in the U.S. Senate debate, we have to cover so much in the sixty or ninety minutes sure. that we have with these candidates. We're we're talking national debt. We're talking federal lands. We're talking, you know, banking. In Senator Crapo's case, so many issues and debates have a lot of positives, but you can't really drill in deep to one specific topic. We don't have that challenge in the same way with education because everything is under this education umbrella for the most part. You know, mm-hmm. land board might come up and that's an important role that the, you know this constitutional officer fills. But for the most part, it is you know K through 12 and secondary education and all of the things that are within that bubble. So I, you know, we could have an hour-long debate about any one of these topics, right? Like uh, building funds and and funding or, um, you know, scholarship opportunities or go on rates or whatever. Right. But for the most part, it's still a really in-depth conversation about education. And I love debates like that. And it's good to really have... Really policy-focused debates. Right. And, it, and it's good to have the time to delve into policy issues in education, of all things. 
but also especially in this race, because Tom Arcouche and Raul Labrador, who are nice people, let me clarify that, <laughs> are diametrically opposed on their approach to the law, uh, their approach to the office. I mean, there is a sharp division. Mm-hmm. Debbie Critchfield and Terry Gilbert, and let me restate, nice people, are they're they're sharply divided on school choice. Very different. Uh, different policy approach to school choice. But on a lot of these other issues, it's a lot more contoured. I mean, there there are differences. There aren't as stark differences. And, you know, a debate gives you the time and the space to kind of tease that out. There's nuance. A debate also gives you the opportunity to see how candidates think on their feet. Mm-hmm. You still get that in an interview, but but not in the same way, because you have so many different factors in a debate than you do with a one-on-one interview or a panel discussion, you know, you have that adversarial uh, component of it and, and seeing how people, how well people keep their cool when an opponent is trying to get under their skin and, and trying to make them frustrated in front of voters. That that's part of the magic of debates is, is seeing how well people keep their composure in a less controlled setting than they are normally in. Right, right. And then you have one more next Thursday, the lieutenant governor's candidate, Scott Bedke, Terry Pickens, Manweiler. I mean, right, yes. that could be a fun debate, too, for for a different set of reasons. I, so this debate is October 28th yes. uh, in our normal Idaho Reports time slot. Okay. And, and this is an interesting one, partly because the lieutenant governor's office really is, I think, the least defined of all of these roles that that we have debates for, right? right? I mean, the job description, you know, how do you run the Senate? I mean, there's not a lot to debate about there. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, when when Governor Brad Little was lieutenant governor, he really put a lot of his focus into things like transportation, you know, with the support of Governor Otter. He put his focus into economic development, transportation, um, healthcare. Uh, he, these were things that if, if you caught him at, you know, ribbon cuttings or whatever, as, as a reporter, he would, those are the things he wanted to talk about. Um, G- Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeehan had a very different focus mm-hmm. for yeah. her time in that role. As we know, you know, the um, the different capital clarity events that she held, the task forces, the yeah, issues in the borders when the governor left the state. How these two will approach this office, how Bedke and Manweiler view the job as lieutenant governor is gonna be a big part of that debate. And frankly, in the past, I, my first year moderating debates, the lieutenant governor debate was only 30 minutes because we didn't, right. it's, you know, and that, that was a year that we had, we had, I think, eight or nine general election debates. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we had a 30 minute debate <laughs> with Brad Little right. and it was a great policy focused debate. Um, that has changed a lot you know, in in the last four years. And so that's going to be a big focus. I, again, Becky has a, a record as a public servant. He has been in the legislature for 20 years. And that's something I'm sure that that the reporters will ask about. Um, so so a very, very different debate than the other three 
that will have happened by that point. And to correct again, my, my calendar of goof, it is Friday, October 28th is that debate. October 28th, yeah. I, I was I right about the Monday. No, I, I was right about Monday <laughs> state superintendent's debate, but okay. let's talk about some debates that didn't happen. Um, Governor Brad Little again bowed out of the debate this time around, uh, as he did in the primary. Uh, Representative Mike Simpson, as well as he also did in the primary, Representative Russ, Russ Fulcher. Talk about the process that gets you to this point. And those weren't the only cancellations, but those are the ones I guess I want to drill down on because we're talking about three well-known incumbents uh, turning down debates. Right. And and ju- just to add, we had three more that didn't happen because the Democrat, the Democratic candidates, and in one case, the Constitution Party candidate, didn't respond or declined as well. They're not as high profile, but some of them, like the Secretary of State, especially in this day and age, mm-hmm. critical yeah. You know, to the functioning of the state of Idaho. Uh, so but but I, I completely understand the disappointment that comes with an incumbent, a high profile incumbent turning down a debate, especially when all three of these men historically have participated in our debates. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was more disappointed than me. Uh, I my team and I were very, very um we were bummed, man. You know, yeah. <laughs> these are these are debates that we really, really wanted to happen uh, for a number of reasons. And and I can say that, you know, there, there were a lot of things that happened behind the scenes to try and get them to to happen. Uh, there there were things, obviously, that we tried in public to, you know, mentioning it on the show that, hey, we're still waiting for responses from these candidates. We look forward to them participating at the end of the day. You know, I said this in the primary, too. I can't citizens arrest the governor and force him to appear on a debate. And so we are doing the best we can under the circumstances that we have. And, and, and I'm happy to talk more about the process and what we're trying for the future. And and the circumstances are difficult because let's say the quiet part out loud here. If you're Brad Little, Mike Simpson, Russ Fulcher, a well-known incumbent, Presumably, if the conventional wisdom is, is accurate, presumably all three are you know, pretty comfortable heading into November 8th, uh, pretty prohibitive favorites heading into November 8th. There's not much that motivates an incumbent in a situation like that to debate. And there's a lot of disincentive to debate. And we've seen this in other states. We've seen it with candidates of both parties. It's hard to get an incumbent to say yes to a debate because, you know, they feel sometimes rightly that they have everything to lose and nothing to gain. And we understand that dynamic is happening, not just in Idaho, but around the nation. I think the the worst thing that we could do as debate organizers um, would be to cling to the status quo and not sit back for a second and say, okay, what can we do differently within the parameters of debate rules, right? Mm-hmm. FEC right. debate rules. What can we do differently in the future to get more people back at the table? And that's a conversation that's already happening. We've already reached out to campaigns and candidates, both you know who accepted and who didn't, and to say, listen, we, we'd like to sit down with you. And after the dust settles, after the election, and well before the 2024 congressional debate cycle, right? Mm-hmm. We 
we want your thoughts on what we could do better. That doesn't mean we're going to do everything that everyone says, especially because some of those are going to be diametrically opposed. They're Mm -hmm. going to be mutually exclusive. Right. But but we we need to listen and we need to reflect on how we can make the process better, because at the end of the day, it's about the voters. It's it's not about us and, you know, the 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 fist pump that we get to do when we get a good debate. And it's not about that. And in the meantime, we're holding one-on-one interviews with the candidates who were denied debates Mm -hmm. because, you know, again, it's about getting information out to the voters. And that at least gives us the opportunity to say, okay, if you were denied a debate, we'll get you some airtime. We'll get information out there much like you would have done in the debate. We're not extending that offer to people who decline debates. Right. Because no. um, they have the opportunity. To be in a to, debate, right. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's not something that we did in the past because we didn't have people turn down debates like this in the past. Um, so, and, yeah, it's, it, it, it's gonna be work for us in the future, and it's work that needs to be done. And, and the logic of what you're doing this fall makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, if you have a candidate who wanted to be there and had the debate you know, preempted by their opponent, uh, they shouldn't be penalized by that decision. Because what, what we have right now is you know, if a candidate in a two-person race says no to a debate, whether they're a popular incumbent or an unknown, whoever, that candidate has the power to cancel a debate, to keep a debate from happening. And I, I, you've been, you know, that's been talked about on social media this week. And I get that. I, that doesn't sit well with me. And I know it doesn't sit well right. with you. But yeah. you have very limited uh, tools at your disposal because of the FEC, uh, the FEC guidelines, which, you know, can you just kind of walk through those quickly? Absolutely. The, the FEC has rules on how to conduct a debate. And one of those rules is you have to have at least two candidates on the stage. You you cannot have one person on the stage and an empty chair or an empty podium and, and call it a debate. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to have viewpoint neutral criteria that a candidate has to prove that, you know, I, I meet these criteria so I can be in your debate. The evidence of an active campaign. Sorry. The evidence of an active campaign. Absolutely. Well, and and honestly, those those criteria are up to the debate organizers. And so it could be as simple as you're legally on the ballot. So we're going to let everybody on the stage. Or it could be a little bit more structured, like what we have at the Idaho debates, which is, you know, evidence of an active campaign that you're if you're a statewide candidate, that you're campaigning around the state, not just within a five mile radius of your house, that you have interest in your campaign. We we also don't make these decisions when looking at the criteria. We don't make those decisions at Idaho Public Television within a bubble. We have the Idaho debates committee. And that's composed of um, representatives from Idaho Public Television, Boise State University School of Public Service, mm-hmm. University of Idaho's McClure Center, Idaho State University's Political Science Department, the League of Women Voters Education Fund, and the Idaho Press Club. Right. And so this isn't a, you know, 
Idaho Public Television in a bubble deciding who can be on the stage. We have multiple partners and we look at these submissions that candidates give us and 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 we outline what it takes Correct. to be considered for our debate in letters to them. And all of that's on our website, IdahoPTV.org slash Idaho Debates. We outline all of that and make it clear to candidates ahead of time. This is what you need to show us to prove mm-hmm. that you're running an active campaign. Right. We and I've been at that. that yeah. And I've been at that table in past election cycles. It's not an arbitrary, capricious process. I mean, yeah. there's a checklist and there, there are things you're looking for. And if candidates hit the hit the boxes, they're they're qualified. Absolutely. And we we adjust every every two years, every debate cycle. We take another look at that list and we adjust those criteria as as necessary, you know, especially with the um, advent of social media and online campaigning. There, there are things that we've had to look at to say, OK, does this make sense in in 2022? That, that's something we do every two years. Mm-hmm. And so um, that again, going back to that looking at what we're doing and reflecting and asking if it makes sense that that's a constant process that we do and it's not done just at idaho public television it's not in a bubble we get that input from outside sources and so so within the constraints of what the fec lays out for us and within the realities of, of the situation, that that's that's where we need to find our path forward. In the meantime, we have one-on-one interviews with the uh, Democratic congressional candidates who were denied a debate, who otherwise qualified for, who would have qualified for our debate. So Kaylee Peterson, Congressional District 1, Wendy Norman, Congressional District 2, those aired on Idaho Reports last week. We have three Republicans who were denied a debate because their Democratic opponents either didn't respond or they, uh, Deborah Silver, the Democratic treasurer, um, declined to Mm -hmm. debate. We have those interviews that we taped this week. They'll be online today. Um, And then we'll have interviews. We're trying to set up interviews with the gubernatorial candidates who were denied a debate um, over the next two weeks. And I should emphasize that if you haven't watched these debates yet or these interviews yet, they're available online as you uh, get closer. If you're a voter to try to figure out which way you're, you might want to vote, that information is still available. So it happens live, but you can always catch up with it later. Absolutely. All all of the debates are at IdahoPTV.org slash Idaho debates. Um, and then the one-on-one interviews are are under our Idaho Reports channel, and we're pushing all of those out on social media. Again, IdahoPTV.org, you'll you'll find it all there. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you as always for taking the time to to join us on the podcast to help kind of demystify the debate uh, process for us. I, I'm always happy to answer debate questions, and always always happy to take suggestions. Okay. Thanks, Melissa. And that'll wrap it up for the podcast this week, but it's been a really busy week for us here at Idaho Ed News and at IdahoEdNews.org. If you haven't been following our site on a daily basis, you've missed a lot. Uh, you've missed a really powerful series that we launched uh, Sunday that went through Thursday on the state of teaching, talking to teachers about their challenges, their 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 pressures, their issues, what's keeping them in the classroom, what's making them leave. So some very powerful personal stories about that, the stories about how administrators are still trying to fill positions, even though here we are in late October. Uh, 
a good story about the teaching pipeline, preparing the next generation of teachers, and a very powerful personal story from Carly Flandro, our journalist turned educator turned journalist who, who joined our staff in June, talking about her decision to leave the classroom. A very personal story, very uh, very compelling story. If you've missed any of that series, it's still available at idahoednews.org, and I urge you to check that out. A lot more on our website this week. Uh, I take a closer look at what happened in that special session, what happened leading up to the special session. We uh, asked for the emails that Governor Brad Little received before the session, and we heard we saw campaigns both for and against House Bill 1, which passed on September 1st, and saw what people were saying to the governor's office about whether the tax cuts were sufficient. That's what the opponents were, were saying that, you know, we're focusing in on whether the expense, uh, whether the uh, expenditures for education made sense. We also saw teachers uh, contacting the governor's office, urging him to pass House Bill 1 to push for House Bill 1 and thanking him for doing that, for even presenting the bill and, and launching the special session. So we have a story looking at that. College enrollment numbers came through on uh, all, all week, and I had a piece on Thursday looking at what uh, the numbers said and some of the uh, the details below the surface on, on those numbers. That story published on Thursday. And speaking of college access, Sadie Dittmer has an interesting story from uh, the Hispanic Youth Summit earlier this week in Caldwell. Some huge scholarships uh, announced this week uh, to help uh, Latino students um, pursue a college education. We have a story on that. So check all that out at idahoednews.org and follow us every day next week because we'll have news about the state superintendent's debate uh, coming up Monday night. I'll take a closer look at the attorney general's race, as, I, as we talked about in our interview, and so much more. We'll be uh, following the latest in education policy and education politics every day at idahoednews.org. Follow us on Twitter at idahoednews. We tweet out links to our latest stories and bulletins on breaking items. Follow us on Facebook and comment on our stories there. And join me next week for another edition of the podcast. I'm Kevin Richard. Have a good week. 